0: It is good to be back with you I had an incredible week of spiritual physical emotional mental restoration did you good good i uh, I was up in um, in the Redwoods up in Mount Herman with many of our folks and we had Uh, Some great teaching, some great encouragement, and some great time. And I I have to share with you, as much as we had great teaching, uh, the blessing for me was to be with the body of Christ, to be with my beloved, to be in that environment, and um, to share life with one another. Uh, Can I encourage you right now that a great spiritual endeavor is on the horizon? August 2nd. I promise that in your life, there will be explosions if you show up. (laughs) I promise that there may be some good food. There definitely will be good fellowship. And hopefully the Rangers win. Amen. No, no, no. Hopefully the A's honor God in all of their actions. So I'm going to encourage you folks every year. This is just an incredible time for us. It's like a hallmark thing for us. And we started this the second year I was here. And every year we've seen it go up and up and up. Right now we're at 50 tickets. I just want to encourage you. I want to ask you right now. This is a little bit of of a challenge for our congregation. We're at 50 tickets. We've only done 70 before, and this is a great opportunity for us to reach out to friends and family. The A's, people actually want to go see them. They're winners. You heard me say it. And so I'm going to ask you right now, your opinion. Do we give back 30 tickets? Or do we, do you say, we can find the people to come with us, and we will endeavor to make sure that happens as a spiritual exercise and see what God does with it see how I spiritualize that now you can only vote one way right so you let me know by the end of service what you want to do on that and and where we're going to go with that and uh, we'll have some fun with it this morning we have a little bit of a different sermon time you're going to hear from our leadership you're going to hear from our elders this morning we call it elder rotisserie. We've never done it before. That doesn't mean we're going to get barbecued. It simply means that we're going to be rotating through um, in giving the message and bringing the message. And I'm very excited because you're going to hear from three different perspectives. The fourth, Mike Redlick, will be practicing a great spiritual exercise of silence this morning as he is not with us. So, Mike will will not be speaking, but in spirit, he is here. So, I want to encourage you, get ready, because you're going to hear some great things on leadership. I also just want to take a moment before we enter into this for you to start thinking and to start praying what God would have for you on this message, All right. As we do so, I just want to encourage you as well, tomorrow... We have so many things happening throughout the summer. We do not take the summer off. We need the fall to recover from summer here at Concord Bible Church. So tomorrow, our high school and junior high students leave for camp. And so I want to be praying for that as well. Um, and, and asking that the Lord would do some mighty things. We just came back from Mount Hermon where we saw video after video of changed lives of, of students. And I know how much my time up at camp Uh, influenced who I am now and and how I met the Lord and so these are powerful times and we need to be praying over that for our own group so right now I want you to just bow in prayer and we'll, we'll spend just about a minute in quiet prayer I want you to reflect I want you to pray and steady your mind steady your heart towards spiritual leadership spiritual leadership If you're in middle school, you may say, oh my goodness, here we go again. That old pastor with a gray beard is going to be speaking and I don't get a single word he says. And I'm not really a leader. Or you may be saying, well, here we go again. Pastor's talking about something and I'm just a retired person. I'm not doing any work and so I'm not really a leader. You may be saying, well, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm at home. I'm a housewife or I'm, I'm uh, just somebody at work, I'm not a main manager, I'm not... You know, folks, what you are going to hear today applies to every single one of you. It will challenge you, but more than that, it will inform and equip you. And so you need to steady your heart right now that God would show you, through these words, how this affects your life. So, let's just go to... a a minute a moment of prayer and then i'm going to pray over the the time of equipping this morning and over our high school students and then we'll get into the word let's pray Lord, this morning we are going to examine Scripture from three different areas. And we're going to listen to how You have involved Yourself in multiple people's lives. In the far reach of Your hand, Your sovereign hand, to change people's lives, but to influence people through others who saw themselves as the least of these. Who saw themselves as not one to step into the gap, who saw themselves as a simple individual and yet You called upon them to rise up to be Your messenger. And Father, help us to understand to what level spiritual leadership is required of each of us. Give us insight. Give us understanding. And speak to us through Your Word this morning. To Your glory. Amen. One of the things that I've already endeavored to share this morning with my nephew, Austin, you know, his dad runs our media, and he records uh, all the services, and you can pick those up online on video, either audio or video, and you can go to our website under Download Truth and get the link. You can go on Vimeo. There's a lot of different ways that you can do that. But the other thing that that he's implemented and is fine-tuning is we have a lot of babies, in case you didn't notice. And sometimes, you know, those babies get filled with the Spirit and love to share. And uh, so then the moms and the dads are like, Oh, no, wrong time for the Spirit. No, they don't actually say that. But we have an area over in the fireside room that's been set up specifically as a secondary area for people that, that need to evacuate from here. Maybe they're not even just feeling good. And you're, we had somebody recently had a coughing spell. Go over into the fireside room. But let me encourage this and say this. That that is an extension of here. So if you're in the fireside room right now. I just want to share with you. That that is an extension of this area. And so babies are allowed to talk. People are allowed to cough. But we definitely don't want to be speaking, we don't want to be making noise, we don't want to be clanging, we don't want to be uh, doing anything that you wouldn't do in here that would distract. Last week we had somebody um, share with me that it was just really frustrating, that they really needed to hear from the Lord, and that uh, they were over there and there was just constant talking. And so we wouldn't do it in here, let's make sure that the Word of God goes forth in the two places that we've got, and let's protect that for our people because we protect it here as well. So, I got to share with Austin how much he matters because he goes over and he sets up that room every week. And sometimes high schoolers or middle schoolers don't think that they matter that much, but they matter, don't they? And there's so much that they can do to help minister and serve. And so that's kind of his spiritual leadership thing. Just very encouraging. Well, this morning as we start out, spiritual leadership... I'm going to be talking about Elijah. I was praying through this and trying to figure out what I would do and what it would look like and what, what I would say. And I came down to Samson or Elijah. And this past week at, uh, at family camp, one of the speakers was speaking about Elijah. It reminded me of how much this story is endearing to me. And so I stuck with it. And, and we're going to be in 1 Kings 19, 9-18. And so that title, Spiritual Leadership Requires Much, and yields even more is kind of my message to you this morning you're going to get three different messages this morning all pertaining to spiritual leadership but this is where i feel compelled and and uh and impassioned emboldened to take you to this morning and so as we look at this let me share with you real briefly that i identify with elijah elijah had a problem Elijah got too focused on himself. Elijah struggled with fear of men. And much of the time when we look at leaders or leadership, we think that they need to rise above. We think that they are above. We think that they have some supernatural ability that's innate to themselves that makes them more powerful, more equipped, more enabled to do what they do. If you look at the story of Elijah, you realize that this man came from nowheresville and he didn't feel or esteem himself too highly. That I can identify with. That Elijah was asked to do things that went way beyond his capacity. That I can identify with. That Elijah was asked to put himself into harm's way. And actually be put into positions where he would be killed more than likely. That I cannot identify with except for one failed summer in 2002, which we'll tell you later doesn't fit into this point. But let's look at verse 9. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to kind of break this up as we examine this. Elijah has just had a really bad encounter. And now he's running. He's God's man. He's going to an evil king and he's telling this evil king and his queen, God is going to ruin you. That doesn't go over real well with a king that kills and kills and kills. But Elijah doesn't. And so the king is after Elijah. And Elijah decides to retreat. He finds a cave And let's look at this. So what does Elijah do as a spiritual leader? There he came to a cave and he lodged in it. It doesn't say that he stopped. It doesn't say that he took a breather. It doesn't say that he watered himself. It doesn't say that he stopped to check his Wi-Fi signal. Just seeing if my younger crowd's still paying attention. He lodged there. He planned on staying there. What's in a cave? Usually not much. Usually a cave is used for protection or for hiding. Both of which Elijah wanted to do. Elijah did not want to be found. He lodged there. My question for us today in the area of leadership or spiritual leadership, how many of us have found Elijah's cave and we have decided to lodge there? I have those moments. I have those moments where I start thinking of my inabilities. I start being obsessed with my weaknesses. And I want to lodge in Elijah's cave. Well, here's the great part of the story. You continue on verse 9. It says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now let me help you with this. As, he's, as, as the narrator's telling the story, he just skips right to it. You have Elijah hiding in a cave and he's staying there. He's not coming out. And what's the very next thing the narrator decides to share with us? God went and found him. God went and found him. And what does he say? He says, what are you doing here? Now the reflexive that I want you to look at in that sentence is not... This idea of, hey, what are you doing here? No, it's the word doing. When I want to retreat into Elijah's cave, what am I doing? I'm becoming self-absorbed. I'm becoming ineffective. I am becoming what I was never asked to be. And that's on the sideline. What am I doing here? I'm wrapping myself up into me because that feels safe. And oddly enough, I'm running from the very thing that sustains me and carries me through. Have you been in Elijah's cave? I have. I have. And the beautiful thing is is that as I resided, as I lodged there, the Word of the Lord came to me too and asked me the same question. What are you doing here? Because see, God wants us to be doing. He has said in in Ephesians 2.10, I have set out good works for you to do before the creation of the world. I have things that you fit into. 1 Corinthians 12 is a passage that's all about how you and I work together to make something happen that cannot happen without all of us together. If if I don't have Dale opening the door for us this morning, we limp along. If I don't have Ron and Shelley handling the, the uh, welcoming and the greeting, we limp along this morning. If I don't have Bruce handling the sound this morning, we limp along if I don't have you all show up to pay attention to the Word of God, we don't limp, we stumble. And there are those Sundays where you just want to curl up in Elijah's cave and lodge there, aren't there? But you and I and Elijah were called to much more. The trick of Satan is to convince us that lodging in the cave is so much better. And yet God will always find us. God will always find us. And he found Elijah and he said, what are you doing here? And look at what Elijah says. He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord. I've been doing my role, God. You had one of those conversations with God? Oh, I've had a lot. Jesus, I did what you asked me to do. And look, nobody's listening. Jesus, I did what You... And all I got was criticized. Jesus, I did... And look, I fell flat on my face. I did what You asked me to do, Jesus. And now there's people that are leaving the church. Elijah says, I've been very jealous for the Lord. I was doing God's work, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken Your covenant, thrown down Your altars, and killed Your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left... And they seek my life to take it away. Oh, boo-hoo. Boo-hoo, Elijah. He is so self-absorbed right now, it's pathetic. But have you ever been pathetic? I have. You see, that's the tension of spiritual leadership is you'll get tested. You'll get tested. And you go on, and and so God says this. This is magnificent. Listen to this. He says, And He said, Go out and stand in the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. What does Elijah say then? You've got the text in front of you. What does he say? He didn't say anything. The very next thing I have in my text is, and behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you what? Doing here, Elijah. He got the question one time and he spoke up and he whined and he whined and he whined. God said, All right, I get it. Let me prove to you who's really in control. Have you been there? Let me prove to you who's really in control. And he does all this huge, powerful stuff, and yet God was not in it. And then God showed up in a what? In a whisper. And I think that that's so paramount to understand. because I don't need an earthquake for God to show up. I don't need a fire for God to show up. I don't need a great wind for God to show up. Sometimes I just need to be quiet and He'll show up in that whisper. And look at the reaction by Elijah. He now goes out. He, he changes. That's what God does to spiritual leaders. He brought Elijah's attitude and thoughts in line with who God is. And now Elijah does what? He covers his what? his face what's on the face that gets us in trouble the mouth he puts his cloak over his face so he can't speak again that's how i think is this picture is and he says nothing so god asks him the question again what are you doing here elijah god doesn't give up on us remember that leaders god doesn't give up on us and this is where he says it again He says, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even only I, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go, go. He didn't say, well, sit down, let's talk through this. He didn't say, oh, I've got this great book I want you to read. It'll really help you. He doesn't say, well, if you just pray more, Elijah... He says, go. Get out of the cave. Because you're supposed to be doing for me. And if you're doing for me, you won't be thinking about your weaknesses. You'll be experiencing my strength. And I just gave you a reminder of my strength. This is one of the biggest problems that we have as spiritual leaders, my friend. Whatever your circumstance is, whatever God's called you to, remember that it's not about us it's about what he's doing through us that's why he keeps asking the question what are you doing what are you doing is god asking you that today what are you doing because i have something for you to do you need to go let's not abdicate our leadership and then god gives him specific instructions about who he's going to anoint as king and And then also he's going to anoint Elisha to take care of him. And at the very end he says this, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, or all the knees that that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Elijah said what? Everybody who loves you has been put to death, God. That's one of the things that myopic self-absorption does. It distorts the truth. And Elijah truly was convinced when he retreated into his little conclave there, that uh, he was the only one that truly loved God. He was the only one left. Have you ever gotten to that point? You've gotten so spiritually discouraged as a leader, maybe in your house, maybe at your work, maybe in your family, maybe amongst your friends. You say, Lord, I'm tired of trying to hold this up for You. I'm tired. Let me give you, real quickly, a couple things as I wrap up from a great book. I got asked this week, what's my favorite book? And I had to think about that because I've never thought about that before. I always get asked what you're reading, but I don't ever get asked what's your favorite book. So I came back to this, Spiritual Leadership by Oswald Sanders. And there's a great quote in here from, well, just listen to it. When France fell to the German armies and Britain was left alone in the fight, the British cabinet met in a sense of deep gloom for which there was abundant reason. When Winston Churchill entered, he looked around at his uh, uh, disconsolate colleagues and said, Gentlemen, I find this rather inspiring. Small wonder that he was able to galvanize the nation into effective counterattack. Spiritual leadership is when we draw upon God's power. It goes beyond what we can do. Elijah met that. What was he doing? He had removed himself from what God had asked him to do. He had removed himself from the power of God and he had sequestered himself into this cave just for himself where he was fooled into believing that's where he truly was safe. But he had pulled himself away from God's power. When we pull ourselves away from God's power, we cannot survive in that level. I've learned this lesson, but I want to share with you Seven things. Hudson Taylor was a masterful missionary. Changed the face of missions. A great man of God and was told, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, you can't do that. He did so many revolutionary things in how he approached missions because he did it in the power of God. And so he has these ideas on or memorandum on leadership. You can write these down if you want. Number one, improve the character of the work. That should be your strategy. Improve the character of the the work, whether it's relationally with families, whether it's at your job, whether it's in your ministry, whether it's with friends. Improve the character of the work. Two, deepen the piety, devotion, and success of the workers. Deepen the piety, the, the holiness, the devoutness of those around you. Remove stones of stumbling if possible. Then as a spiritual leader, I look and say, what's keeping us from moving in a direction that we need to move in? If that's the case, then I'm going to fix it. Oil the wheels where they stick. Find those things that are keeping you from... Being efficient and, and do whatever is required to make that move the way it is meant to move. Five, amend whatever is defective. If something is broken, go in with the attitude to fix it. Six, supplement as far as it may be what is lacking. Supplement. Find those things that are missing, that aren't happening the way that they should be. One of my times to retreat into the cave where I wanted to stop, or I wanted to actually start retreating and stop doing was on a missions trip. I want to share with you the beauty of... Spiritual leadership. And then Hanny's going to come up and share with you. When you're engaged in spiritual leadership, you are engaged with God. When you are engaged with God, the sky is the limit as to what may happen. Can I encourage you, that will take great sacrifice, and you'll put yourself into a position of being challenged. But I would I would share with you, and and this story fits this illustration. I would far rather be challenged and be out on the field of war, than held up in a cave and be bored to death, with nothing to account for, when I go before my Savior and King, and He says, "What did you do with what I gave you?" I curled up in a safe cave, Jesus. What are you doing? I love missions. We just got back from a missions trip. I love taking people to missions fields around the world. In 2004, I led a group of students overseas to Hong Kong. And one of the things that anybody who's done or or led a missions trip, you know that the team and the personality of the team and the spiritual tenor of the team is very, very important. As was here. Oddly enough, we had one person on our team that soured a lot of the experience and we never saw it coming this person was not spiritually ready for this trip but they had convinced us that they were and it started to permeate you know how paul says in galatians a little yeast leavens the whole and By about the 8th or ninth day, I was exhausted handling all of the problems that this person was stirring up. So we got one night out of 12 to go sightseeing. They worked us hard. And it was a great trip. It was a great trip. And so on this particular night... I'd already had two encounters with this individual spiritually leading, trying to instruct, trying to equip, trying to encourage that they're on a team and let the Lord work through them rather than it be about their agenda. So we go out on the town that night and three, four, five, eight times it was all about what this individual wanted to do rather than a team of twelve people. And I was getting exhausted dealing with it. And at the end of the night... We're up on Victoria Peak in Hong Kong. i got 12 people that I've got to get into the subway to get back by 1 a.m. Or we're stuck on Hong Kong Island and we're not getting home. And I said, you need to meet me at such and such a place. And this person just kind of gave me the whatever and went off to go shopping. And I remember walking away saying, Lord... I put myself out there. I've led this team. And this is what I get. Complete disrespect. Complete frustration. And I started to go into my Elijah cave. And I remember, fine, I'm just going to go over and I'm going to get in line for the tram. And whoever shows up, shows up. Then they can call their daddy and I'll get fired and i'm standing in this line for the tram and i'm having my elijah moment i am i've set up my cot i've hung some pictures in the cave by now and i'll read to you what i wrote in my mission's journal 81 2004 i don't really know what to write i guess the remainder or the reminder to be strong and courageous today should be seen as a monumental day But I have so many doubts and discouragements. We had 68 kids accept Christ in the past 24 hours. It was just different from last time. Really hard to gauge what is real and true. Tonight was one of the freakiest moments that's very theological. One of the most freaky moments in my life. Thoughts of anger and hurt overwhelming me. And then a total stranger asked me, are you the leader? I said yes. And he responded, tough job. I was standing in that line by myself, surrounded by people from Hong Kong. Right now... This is not a racial comment. People from Hong Kong have a proclivity to have dark hair, and they're usually under the height limit of six foot. All right, can we all just agree to that? Okay. I'm leaning on this railing like this, and I'm thinking, I hate being the leader. I hate it. I'm never doing this again. I, like I said, man, the, the the sheets have been put on the cot. And from my left comes this voice that says, Are you the leader? I turn to my left. It is a six foot five. Blonde haired, Fabio looking guy. Yeah. You kind of notice that. And I look at him and I say, "Yeah." And I just kind of go back to doing. I'm right like I'm so far in the cave. And he just says, "What? It's a tough job." And as I'm letting those words permeate, I'm thinking, "Who is this guy?" Two seconds pass. I turn to my left. There's no guy. God came and met me where I needed to be met. In a whisper. And it was a privilege to lead. And what I want to share with you in closing is in my embarrassment to go camp out in Elijah's cave. God said, Jeremy, I'm with you. It's through my strength that any of this happens. The strong spiritual leader is the one who realizes he woke up in a cave and the Lord passed by. No one can do it in their own strength. If you want to know about this, you can ask me later. But I'm going to turn this over to Hanny. So, Hanny, would you please come on up and share?
1: Thank you, Jeremy. Uh, Good morning. I'm going to take it and continue on the same route, but maybe a little bit of a tweak, and I'm going to go to uh, Luke 7. And... uh, we we'll see some uh, example that the Lord himself just uh, picked up. And uh, at the very first verse of Luke 7, it says, Now, when he concluded all his sayings and the hearing of the people, and... Uh, Jeremy had taught us originally that usually when it, there is a now or then afterwards, that means that there was something that had happened before that. There was a then before. And what it was is that uh, the Lord was talking on, uh, on Luke 6 about the fruits. You know the tree off of the fruit, and he said in Luke uh, 6 and verse 43, he said, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. And afterwards, he, bu- he talks about building on the rock. And after that, he says that he entered Capernaum. And if it is the lecture had ended, and it is the time for the lab. This is the time to see what is going on. And the Lord goes and picks up a very strange example. It says here an, a, a certain centurion uh, or a, cent, a certain centurion, uh, centurion's servant who was dear to him. And the Lord picks up one out of the mainstream. He doesn't pick a Pharisee. He doesn't pick a a priest. He doesn't pick a good known Jew, but he picks up a centurion. And it says that who was dear to him, and as if the Lord is trying, and the, the the spirit of the Lord is trying to pick us or to pick for us a few things and bring brings them to the surface. What the Lord is looking around for those kind of leaders. And he picks, us, uh, picks for us a leader from the people, not from the religious tier in another way. He goes and picks up a centurion that he's responsible about a 100 people under his authority and he's doing this just for living, that's his job. He is a Roman soldier. He is ahead of a hundred people. But starts with the word who, about the servant who was dear to him. And when you think about it, and this servant was sick and ready to die, so what? I mean, if you ask anybody, so what? He's just a servant. How much did you pay for him? The Bible tells us that the price of the servant is just 30 pieces of silver. Do you remember who else has been sold for 30 pieces of silver? Another servant. Yeah. And um, I understood that the right or or the same word in Greek for the servant right in here, it says he's a bond servant. Not just a regular servant, but he's a bond servant, and a bond servant is a a Hebrew servant, a Hebrew that ran out of money for one reason or or another, and is being sold as a slave. And by law, he should be released on the jubilee, on the seventh year. But he chooses, and he says, "No, I love my master." And I love my wife. He's already got married at his master's house, and he has children. And he says, I love my master, and I love my wife, and I love my children, and I'm not going to go free. I don't want to go free. It was his right, and he gave up his right. He didn't go free. Would that tell us something about the centurion? What kind of love did the centurion have to that servant? that he loves him to the extent that he decided to be a slave forever for the rest of his life and not to go free. Let me remind you with a a verse right in here. uh, In Philippians 2, 7, about the servant that we all know. But made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a bond servant, and coming in the likeness of man, as the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, He loved us enough that He told God the Father, "I love You. I love You, Master. I came here to do what glorifies Your name, and I love my wife and my children." then we see another different kind of love, too. After his love to the servant, the same qualification goes, and and when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom He should do this was deserving. They've seen something on the life of that, if we can say that he is the leader, something on the life of of that leader that makes them appreciate this person really. For he loves our nation and he built us a synagogue. Practical love. Not just only that he loves Everybody and they reflect back and love him back. But his love is practical. And maybe sometimes we experience this, I guess, here in the church, when we see a newcomer or a new believer, and their response is, we love this church. And and we take it as, wow, that person loves the church, loves us and he loves to do work in the church or wanted to be involved in the church. And wouldn't that be exactly what the Lord about, uh, talks about, the first fruit of love. It is the first fruit, it is the, I'm sorry, the first fruit is of the spirit is love. And that's what it is shown. It's just something, once you get to know the Lord, And all of a sudden, you have love that reflects to not just only the Lord, but you love His children, and you love to do His work. (coughs) Then uh, it continues, and then says that then Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, something about not far from the house. It is, it is as if, as if we experiencing it. We experience this in our own lives when, at one moment or some moments, as Jeremy was talking right now, when the Lord comes and talks to us specifically, and we feel the light of the Lord, and He's that close, and all of a sudden something happens the, on that. On that person, the centurions, he says he sends friends to him saying to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Unworthiness comes to the picture right away. When you see yourself in the light of the Lord, you understand exactly who you are you lean totally on what we call it grace i don 't have it not just only that Don't don't don 't come and, and come under my roof, but in the same time therefore i I did not even think myself worthy to come to you and and it reminds us with uh, the story of the Pharisee and the uh, Tax collector, when they went to the temple together and they were praying over there, and tells us, the Bible tells us that the tax collector stood afar. He couldn't come close. And he can't even lift up his eyes to the Lord while he's praying. And he just put his head down and he knocked on here at the source of the troubles. And he said, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. And and the Bible tells us that he left there righteous. And we know that this man had attained or received righteousness because he exactly was in the right position before the Lord. He knows exactly where he is. Then, last thing. A realization of where the trust, the faith, and power should be, or they are. And he says, continues, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. Say the word. How many around him did they realize that the Lord can just send his word and his word will heal. For I am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to one go, and he goes, and to another come, and he comes, and to my servant do this, and he does it. I understand the authority. I've been there, but my authority is so very limited. But I understood that you have the authority of the word. I just want you to say the word. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And I figured out that there was only two occasions that the Lord marveled. It is written about the Lord Jesus Christ that he marveled. It's one time right in here, because of that centurion, and another time it is written on Mark 6, 6, and says that he marveled because of their faith. He's talking about Nazareth, his city, his hometown. He went over there, and because of lack of faith, he could not do miracles or great powers. He only laid hands on some sick people and healed them, but he couldn't do any miracle over there. And says that he marveled because of their unbelief and he went about among the villages teaching. He was just teaching around. So that leaves us with three things that the Lord just brought them up for that kind of leader which It's not leader in the church. It's wherever it is that you are, that you are doing in your own place, you have those three qualities that you can practice love, humble, understand the authority of the Lord, and have faith and trust in his power. Uh, Let me conclude with one verse that Jeremy is making it the theme for the year, or the end of it, as a matter of fact. For if these these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And above all, as Jeremy said, we're going to stand before the Lord one day. And hopefully the word that the Lord is going to say is marvelous, marvelous you be faithful.
2: Good morning. Daniel is probably best known for the story of Daniel in the lion's den or the many end-time prophecies that are in the book of Daniel. But we're not going to be talking about either of those today. Instead, we're going to be looking at an aspect of Daniel's character that even his enemies recognized. In Daniel chapter 6, it tells a story of a time in Daniel's life when his enemies were looking for anything they could find against Daniel to hold against him, against the king. Verse 4 says that this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. The lives of men and women are preserved for us in Scripture so we can learn from their from what they say and what they don't say, what they do and what they don't do, from their successes and their failures. Daniel was a trustworthy man. When your enemies say something about you that's good is probably fairly reliable. So today, when I was thinking about leadership, I wanted to talk about something more specific because of a couple of events that that has happened in our lives the last uh, three weeks. I'll tell you the first one right now, and then I'll tell you the next one in a few minutes when I close. So about three weeks ago, um, I took our youngest daughter up to Eugene, to the University of Oregon for some summer school classes. And because it was the middle of the week, I had some work of my own to do, so I found a, a Starbucks near the edge of campus, and I sat down to get some internet access, and I was just sitting there minding my own business. A couple minutes later, a, a young guy sits down across from me, he's about three feet away, whatever, and he's about 21 or 22, probably an upperclassman. And uh, I'm just sitting there doing my thing, and, and then a friend of his comes along in about 30 minutes, and they start talking, it's very nice. And then the, the, the first guy tells his buddy, you know, I've got, I'm taking this online class. And I've got a test coming up in a couple days. And then their conversation morphs to, you know, I wonder if it's possible to cheat on online tests. And then their conversation morphs to, can you help me cheat on my online test? And so I'm just sitting there minding my own business. Once again, he's about here. And they start talking. They talk for an hour about how they're going to do this. And so I won't tell you all the details, but they they, uh, get to the point where they're very creative very extensive and they were all set to go you know they had it all planned out he was going to line to the table and do all this stuff so i'm sitting there and after about 30 minutes i'm saying oh should i say something you know i'm thinking no what can i say i'm just this old guy Uh, after an hour i knew i had to say something right the lord's making it clear that that's my uh, responsibility so i finally say to him i say hey guys when you have a second could i ask you a question?" And I probably just broke a bunch of protocols for Starbucks, right? You know, you're not supposed to ever talk. And they they kind of looked up and they said, well, okay. And I said, well, I've just been sitting here minding my own business. You know, and I couldn't help but hear what you were thinking about doing and you're thinking about cheating on your test. And I'm really, I really want to know because you seem like a smart guy. I'm looking at the guy. You really seem to know this stuff. Why, how do you think that this is Right. You know, I'm not your judge, you know? I'm not a professor. I'm just an attorney for AT&T. I don't normally say that, but I thought <laughs> it might, it might help. So I said, I, you know, I, I really, really want to know, because it seems to me that you're, you're putting everything at risk by doing this. You're tainting your degree, and it might just have been better off to spend the last hour studying than maybe figuring out how you could cheat. He was a little flustered. <laughs> You know, but to his credit, he kind of, uh, he, I was sincere. I really wasn't trying to be a jerk. I really wanted to know what he was thinking, how this could be right. So after a minute, he, he, he started to tell me, and I'm going to tell you what those, those, his justifications are, and on the screen, I'm going to kind of rewrite them in a way that, that I think is what he really wanted to say, and in a way that I think that we so often say to ourselves when we're in this, convers- this kind of situation. First thing he says is, um, you know, I have all my required courses done. You know, uh, this is just an extra course that I wanted to take because it was an interesting topic. I could have taken a PE class, but I really care about my education. Next thing he goes on to say that it's only an online class. It's being taught by a professor. It's not being taught by a professor, just by a student intern. There's no teaching going on at all. It's a bogus class. I guarantee there's gonna be other people that are cheating and nobody ever gets caught. The online test is bogus. I've, I've known the right answer sometimes on these tests. I put it in there and because I didn't know the buzzword, I got it wrong. I don't want to spend all night studying and then get, you know, get taken advantage of because of a bad process. Okay. The online test, this is a math class, the online test doesn't allow me to show my work. That's not fair. I need partial credit. They don't let me do it. That's unfair. It's bogus. You can tell what his favorite word was? (laughs) Bogus. Um, I'm going to answer most of the questions myself. I'm just going to need a help on a couple of these questions. Of course, their plan was for his friend to help with everything. But he said, I'm just going to need a little bit of help. Um, Once again, the course is just a course to add to my total credits. it's, it's It's just no big deal. And lastly, all I'm doing is really improving my grade point average just a little bit. You know, I, you know I'll pass the course anyway, whether I get a C or a B, I'm going to graduate. So my degree isn't tainted at all. So I said, thanks very much. I was, you know, and I appreciate that. And then I turned to his friend, who was really nervous at this point. And I said, so let me just ask you really quick. I said, Help me understand your mindset, how you think that it's okay to help your buddy cheat. Because, you know, that makes you a cheater too. Makes you an accomplice. So, you know, why do you think that's okay? And, and he just kind of stammered. He just kind of finally, you know, parroted back, you know, some of the same ideas that his friend said. Well, he's just improving his GPA and, you know, no big deal and all that stuff. So, I you know, I, I, I thanked him both. And I said, you know, let me just tell you one thing. You know, before you go, and you don't have to listen to me, but, you know, from my experience, you've got to guard your integrity. Above all else, you've got to guard your integrity because if you lose it, you may never get it back. Or if you lose it, it's going to take a long time and you won't get it all back. So sat back, started typing, they stayed for about another half an hour. They left, they said goodbye. And then when they walked out, I really prayed for them that they'd be convicted, you know. So if I had more time, you know, I would normally go through and try to come up with some examples where we face all these stuff. These are not limited to college students, right? We all face them. Most every day we face some sort of. But we're going to get back to the life of Daniel because he's got a lot of things in his life to be able to share with us as well. So Daniel was a young man when the Babylonians captured his homeland of Judah and he was taken away with a lot of other men, young men of noble birth to help with the king. Uh, chapter 1, verses 5 to 15, tell us the scene. I'm going to read that real quick. You can see it on the, on the screen, I hope. Um, the king assigned to them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years and after that they were enter the king's service. Oh, that's better. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, to Daniel, the name Balthasar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Daniel had a choice, didn't he? He could have said nothing and eaten the king's food or he could have spoken up and said what he knew to be the truth. Let's look at the list of justifications that our college friends gave us and see if any of those would have worked for Daniel, okay? And obviously, Daniel's situation was a little bit more dire than my friend and, uh, at Starbucks. In no particular order, let's just say I have no other choice. Heck, I'm a captive. What can I do? Um, I'm being forced into it? You bet. The king says jump. You say how high. Um, I've been through so much I've been taken away from my family. I have the right to lie in this area. It's been really hard. No one's going to you know, look down on me. I have the right to do this. Um, you know, Everyone else is going to eat the food, right? Plus, it's only a little lie. Heck, it's not even a lie at all, right? All he has to do is be quiet. No lie at all. Um, who's going to know? My buddies are going to do the same thing. No one in Judah is going to know. And it's no big deal. Because staying alive is pretty darn important. Yet Daniel spoke up and said what he knew to be right and true. And so from that, I draw a couple principles about leadership. The first is that leaders find a way to tell the truth. It may not be easy. It may be scary. It may be risky. It may require a way to figure out how to best tell the truth. Kind of like when I was talking to my friends at at Starbucks. I thought for about 30 minutes about how to share the truth in a way that they might be able to hear. Now, I don't know if I did a good job or not, but sometimes you have to think about how you share the truth. But leaders find a way to share the truth. Second, leaders base their truth on God's word. The truth is not fluid. It is based on something solid. And God's word is solid and unchanging. On Wednesday, when Kelly was here talking about tolerance, one of his points was that you need... Christians need to base their worldview on God's truth. It's solid. That's why this church teaches God's word, and that's what Jeremy does for us week in and week out. The second story from Daniel's life is found in chapter 2. The king had a dream that troubled him. So he called all his wise men together and asked them to interpret the dream. There are just two catches to it. One was that he wasn't going to tell them what the dream was. And if they were wrong, they'd be killed. You know, so the wise men, like any self respecting wise man, would say, ask the king, hey, you know, king, could you kind of just tell us what the dream was? It might help us. We'll do a better job for you. That so incensed the king that he issued a, de- a decree that all the wise men in the country would be killed. And because Daniel and his friends were kind of wise men in training, the decree applied to them too. So when the guard came, Sorry. When the guard came to take Daniel away, he asked him, you know, what's going on? When he found out, he said, wait, you don't kill anybody, I'll interpret the dream. So verses 25 to 28 of Daniel chapter 2, tell us what happened. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked, asked Daniel, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come, your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you rely in the better these. So Daniel goes on to interpret the dream. But I got to tell you, if I was in Daniel's situation, I don't think I would have given the king any, or the God much credit. I think I would have answered, you bet, king, I'm your guy. You know, I would have wanted to be seen as indispensable as the king's new best friend. Um, so do you think that any of our, our college friends' justifications would have worked in this situation? There again, um, it's only a little lie. If that, right, he's actually, Daniel is the one who's saying the words. You ever use that excuse? I am saying uh, he's the one that's interpreting the dream. You know, it's no different than if you buy a a service from AT&T, which I hope you all do, (laughs) right? You buy a service from AT&T, we don't tell you all the subcontractors that we have behind the scenes. It's branded as an AT&T service, right? So all Daniel was doing, he could just brand this as Daniel's dream interpretation service. And he'd be fine. It's just a little bitty lie, if it went at all. Um, No one's going to know right? He's really being forced to it or people are going to die, him too. No one is being hurt. And uh, this is really going to help Daniel a lot. In a way, Daniel was kind of increasing his GPA in the eyes of the king, right? So, but again, Daniel spoke up and said what he knew to be right, not what he knew to be easy. And from this, I draw a couple more principles on leadership and leaders base their truth on God's character. Uh, as we said before, the truth is not fluid. It is based on something solid, and God's character is solid and unchanging. Daniel knew what his God was like, and he endeavored to follow that, that, that example in everything that he does. It's not unlike what Paul says in, in Colossians verses, uh, chapter 3. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord, Jesus giving thanks to the Father through him. And lastly, leaders do not shade the truth. Had Daniel taken any of the credit or given God just a little bit of credit, we can argue about whether or not he was lying or not. But there's no question but that he was nuancing the truth to his benefit. And that's what shading the truth is all about. Um, I'd like to camp out here just for one second um, because I think this idea of shading the truth is so pervasive in our lives, in the lives of society around us, that we don't even think about it anymore. Okay? Um, let me give you an example from the world of Craigslist. Or for those of you who are a little bit closer to my age from the classified ads of the Sunday morning paper. Right? So I'm going to give you some language from the ads, and then I'll tell you what it really means. Okay? And so you're buying a car, and it says, runs good. It means that it runs. Runs great means that it runs runs terrific means that it runs one owner what that means it means it's used right like new it's used mint condition it's used or if you're buying a car okay uh you see the word cozy that means that means small yeah exactly you're getting it charming small Quaint, old, and small. <laughs> How about close to schools and shopping? Well, that means it's noisy. Yeah, exactly. And my favorite, of course, is seller willing to negotiate. It means for sale, bring a lawyer. <laughs> now, these are kind of funny, but what happens, okay, when I'm in my office and I get a call from a client who wants to know the status of his case? So I see the call coming in, my assistant answers, I've got a stack of files, I pull out that file for this client that I haven't looked at for a week, I open it up, I get on the phone and say, hey Joe, yeah, I'm just looking at your file right now. I've done that before. And in this room, we can come up with, hopefully it's not just me, we can come up with hundreds of examples where that happens. I'm not going to try to come up with more examples because you know that they're out there. And the the issue for us is is to start thinking about those areas where we're compromising the truth because we don't think about it. Um, Daniel could have shaded the truth easily. Easily, right? But he chose not to. Jesus says in Matthew 5, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Those are the type of people that we want to be. I told you I had two reasons for sharing about Daniel and truth this morning. Um, the second that, that I wanted to share about is to let you know that right now, Nancy and I are, are going through an experience where a relationship in our lives that is just so very important to us is just being destroyed because of dishonesty. It's just terrible. And it hurts so much that it's hard to breathe sometimes. And and, and I know that we're not the only ones that are going through things like that or or have gone through things like that. But I'm sharing that, you know, obviously briefly. But as a reminder to all of us that, that when you're tempted to take the easy way out and to shade the truth or to lie, don't do it. The justifications that no one will be hurt and no one will ever know are the biggest lies of all because Lord, because God always knows and you and I always know when we lie and eventually someone else is going to know and someone else is going to be hurt David's life or Daniel's life is a wonderful model for us but we must never forget that we have a huge advantage over Daniel we have heard the full gospel of Jesus Christ which tells us the truth about life and gives us the power to live that life. We can't do it on our own. We need the Lord's help. If you know Jesus, rely on Him and not on excuses. If you don't know Jesus, then the only way to get off the treadmill of doing what you don't want to do and not doing what you want to do is to get to know Him. He's there waiting for you. So, four principles about truth, an aspect of leadership. Leaders find a way to tell the truth. Leaders base their truth on God's word. Leaders base their truth on God's character. And leaders do not shade the truth. And one last thing, as Jeremy has said and as Hanny has said, we're all leaders, right? We all need somebody. And so that's what he would have in store for us, I think. Um, I'm going to ask the uh, servers to come forward now, if I can, so we can take our, uh, our offering so I can pray for that. Okay, let me pray while they come. Father, You are a mighty God. You are a mighty God, Father. And You long for us to be part of Your ministry. You long for us to learn, to grow, to lead. Father, we pray that, that, that the words that have been shared, Your words that have been shared, uh, will resonate with all of us. And Father, as we take part in this act of giving, Father, we we thank you for the opportunity to serve you, the opportunity to be loved by you, and we pray that these gifts will be used to magnify your glory here on Concord Boulevard. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.